0: I'm certainly glad to be here. Some of you I know, most of you I don't, but that's beside the point. Uh, It's good to be together for this time of sharing. Kingdom building is going to be our theme for these several sessions. And I've chosen Philippians 1, 6 as a theme verse for this. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That verse is a recognition of what God has done in the past in your life, what He's doing at present in your life, and what He will do in the future. The beautiful thing, one of the beautiful things about God is that it's an ongoing work. It doesn't matter what stage of life we're in or where we are in our journey in our Christian life. There's always God's presence taking us on a journey, so to speak, and, and like I said, He does great things, has done in the past, He's doing great things in the, future, in the present, And he's going to keep on doing great things. You'll see it in the future. And that's exciting when you think about that. Uh, Many people begin well with the Lord. Fewer people continue well with him. Fewer still finish well with him. My prayer for all of you that you will finish well. Keep at it until you finish well. That's the goal. So kingdom building. Uh, Kingdom. What does that mean to you? A kingdom. Kingdom is a place of jurisdiction. it's a place of, uh, of uh, power, a place of uh, submission. It's, it's, uh, it's a world. And there's two kingdoms. Kingdom of this world, Kingdom of Jesus Christ. As people of God, we're called to leave the kingdom of this world and be in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, we live in the world. We're in the world, but not of it. And so, as kingdom believers, Jesus' kingdom believers, our goal is to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ while we're living in the kingdom of this world. And sometimes there's issues between the two, but our focus here is going to be on kingdom building, building the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And as I look, as I think about your different... uh, organizations. You have Hillcrest, you have Faith Mission, and you have uh, Mountain View represented here. I guess Penn Valley's not here, is that correct? Yeah. But your three organizations are really quite different in how you function and operate. There's a lot of similarities too, but there's uh, differences in organization and that sort of thing. And there again, that's not really my my, uh, purview here today. But thinking of kingdom and you relating to kingdom building, it's going to Some of this stuff is going to bounce off differently depending where you're at, depending what your organization is and how it functions and operates. Um, But we're called to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We're called to build it together. Uh, We all have a part in the kingdom. Jesus Christ is ahead, and we are his subjects, and we are doing his bidding. We're We're performing his will in our corner of the kingdom. Uh, it's it's like a general contractor. Jesus is a general contractor, and we're his subcontractors. We all have a little piece to do in our in our corner in our world, and he's looking to us, and we're accountable to him and responsible to him to fulfill our part of the whole project. He is general contractor, looks over the whole thing, and we are to fulfill our part. So these couple sessions are going to focus on kingdom building and. Uh, I won't say a whole lot of new things, probably nothing's new, probably not, and so I hope that this can be an encouragement to you and a reminder, something that we can be inspired by. I'd like to look at this first session, Kingdom Building Begins in the Heart. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, very interesting chapter here. This is where God was calling Isaiah to be a kingdom builder, and there was a big need for kingdom building in his world, in his time. That time, there was only one kingdom. Jesus came and introduced a new kingdom in the New Testament. But this is still the Old Testament. There's only one kingdom, and so to speak. And so Isaiah now is called to, build, to be a kingdom builder in that kingdom. I'd like to read this chapter <clears throat> and then talk about it. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. From mine eyes has seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar. He laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for me? Who will go for us? Then Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go, and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but but, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitants, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak, whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves, so that the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. So here's Isaiah now, beginning of his ministry. I imagine him to be young, knew what he was doing, and uh, probably felt overwhelmed, I would think, in... The thing that God wanted him to do. This chapter divides nicely into three. The first four verses is uh, what he saw, and the next verses, verses five through nine, is what happened to him, and then verse nine or verse uh, ten and verse nine and thirteen is uh, uh, what God told him to do. So in these first verses, and I, I take this very literally. I I think it happened in a sense that he saw it, he experienced it, he felt it. Uh, One reason I feel that way is because uh, this same scene is replayed in John, uh, with the Apostle John in Revelation 1, when he saw the, in Revelation 5, he saw the throne room scene of God there in heaven, describes some of the very same things here. And I I think it was a literal experience he had. Uh, Also, uh, the... uh, The conversation he had, and to me it just looks literal, and I I take it that way. So I'm giving it to you in that context, so you understand where I'm coming from. In these first verses here, he saw God sitting on his throne, high and lifted up. These seraphims are angels. And it says he each had six wings. Uh, They covered their face, they covered their feet, and they did fly. And they were crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And this tells us something. when you think of God, what is His most basic characteristic? If you really find God in one word, yes. Why? Because of here. Many people say God is love, that's His most basic characteristic. No. The angels aren't saying love, love, love. They're saying holy, holy, holy. What does holy mean? Someone tell me. Perfect in love. love. Okay. God is everything because He's holy. He's love because He's holy. He's just because He's holy. But holiness. What is holiness? Perfection. Completeness. He stands alone in that. He's separate. In the, in the New Testament says, be ye holy for I am holy. Be separate, says the Lord. The, the, another word for holy is separate. God is so uh, exclusive and so uh, beyond our pale, beyond our imagination, beyond our knowledge, that He's completely separate all by Himself. He stands alone. And that's God's most basic characteristic. He's holy, holy, holy. He invites us to join him in his holiness. And there's conditions we meet to to join him in that holiness, and we can. Uh, And it's wonderful he invites us to join him in that holiness, but he is holy. And he is the supreme, he's ultimate, he's the most, the biggest, he's eternal, he's everything there ever was and will be. And he invites us to join him in that. So these angels here are recognizing his holiness in this throne room scene. And it says here, the post of the door moves with the voice of him that cried, the the, you know, these buildings, this building's pretty firm. You know, he, he, how would it be if we'd be in here in the walls doing this number? Well, that's how this was happening. The, the posts of the room were just kind of moving because when he spoke, his voice is so powerful. This, the, the, the sound waves of his voice move the building, move the, the physical aspects of the throne. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an attempt to give, help us to understand God in this setting here. <clears throat> And, of course, the English language and Noah language is sufficient to totally describe and help us understand exactly how it was. But this is a good effort here. It gives us a good understanding as far as we can understand as far as who God is. So Isaiah Isaiah here sees this. He he sees God in his throne. He's holy and he's righteous. And no one's saying anything to Isaiah. But Isaiah sees God. And what does Isaiah do? Tell me. Yeah, picture, uh, uh, how, how do you, what do you think he's doing physically when he's saying that? Can you use your imagination a little bit? Okay, trembling. trembling, good. I picture him face down in the dirt, that's what I picture. I don't know if that's how it was, but at least very, very humbled, very contrite. Woe is me, I am undone. That word undone means ruined. I'm ruined. It's like uh, a, uh, uh, I remember I was working at a place, and I had to go inside this enclosure. I spray fruit trees. That's what I do. So I had to take my hose over the fence inside this enclosure. And inside the enclosure was a dog tied uh, by a dog box. And he was barking at me. But you know, I wasn't going to hurt the dog, and I was staying away from the dog. I wasn't going to make contact with him. I put my hose over the fence and went around to the other side went through the gate into the fence and I had the nozzle of the hose in my hand. This dog just was Isaiah. He was undone. He just melted. He just laid in the ground. He just uh, he was totally ruined. I felt so bad for him. I wasn't trying to do anything to him at all, but he was so, so he was he couldn't get away cuz he was tied. And, and I was close enough to him that he felt so threatened by me that he was absolutely helpless. I mean, I could have taken his throat and just cut it right there. He'd have done absolutely nothing. He was undone. I felt sorry for him. Um, but Isaiah here, he saw God in his holiness, in his temple. He saw, he, he, he just heard the angels, holy, holy, holy. And, it, and he saw himself in comparison to that. And, he, and I picture him on his face, trembling. Uh, just completely overwhelmed. He says, I'm undone. I'm ruined. I have absolutely nothing to give, nowhere to go. I'm finished because I'm a man of unclean lips. And he saw the holiness and purity and perfection of God. Now, God wants Isaiah here to be a prophet, a spokesman for the kingdom. And think about it. What does a prophet do? Okay. And what part of his body does he use? His mouth. Do you see a problem here? What's his problem? The very thing that God wanted him to use to be a spokesman for his kingdom was defiled, it was useless, right? I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't do anything. I'm finished. I'm through. There's absolutely nothing I can do that would be helpful to you. Right? What does God do about it? Well, you know, have you ever prayed a prayer and says, God, please help me. I can't do anything. You know, God loves those kind of prayers. Isaiah said, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. God said, I got an answer for that. I'll take care of it. That's what I wanted to hear. And so Isaiah prayed a prayer, and God answered it. Did did you ever pray a prayer, and God answered it in a way that surprised you? Do you think Isaiah was surprised how God answered his prayer here? I think so. Yeah, let's look at what he did. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from, with the tongues from the altar. What's a tongue? You know, you, you, you put ice in your glass with it, or, you know, something that you don't want to touch with your fingers. You move it with your tongue, right? So he takes a live coal. Now, what's the difference between a live coal and another coal? Temperature. Okay. <laughs> what's the color? <laughs> a live coal is What? Red or white, a regular coal is just black, I guess, okay? So he takes this live coal with a tongue, and what's he do with it? Yeah, what's the word he uses here? The verb, in verse 7. Well, King James has another, what's, I don't know what version you have there. Pardon? Okay, in the King James it says, laid now I'm, I, I didn't look at other translations. so I don't know exactly what all, but to me that's pretty pretty powerful. You take a live red hot coal. Why didn't the angel just hold it in her finger, in his finger? You think an angel could, right? I don't know. I don't know about angels, but he took a tongue, he took an instrument, didn't touch the, t- the, the coal with his own hands, and laid, and laid this on Isaiah's lips. What do you think Isaiah's lips looked like? What do you think they felt like? You know, when you take, you take something hot and put it on something cold uh, or something dry, what's the difference between that and taking something hot and putting it something on something wet? I remember one time we had, a, had a, a wood stove in our house to heat, and it was a cast iron stove, and so it had a lot of cast iron surface on it. And the stove was hot and, you know, making heat, and it was all dusty. I'm like, okay, I'm going to fix this. So I got a wet rag, and went over this hot cast iron. Said, "What do you think? I, what do you think happened?" <laughs> My hand became hot very, very quickly because moisture translate uh, trans. Uh, what's the word? Moves heat quicker than something dry, right? So, the lips are what? They're kind of moist, probably, right? Usually they are. So he takes this coal, lays it on Azay's lips. You hear the sizzle. Do you feel it? I wonder what it looked like. I don't know. I'm taking this very literally. That's that's the context I'm talking about here. And so here's Isaiah, and, you know, God answered his prayer in a startling way. I don't know what Isaiah thought about it, except we do have a clue in verse 8. He says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying unto me, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said I, what did Isaiah say? I'll go. You know what I'd have done if I'd have been Isaiah? Uh, can you give me a salve first? Can I go to the ER for a little while, you know? Can you recuperate for a month or two? I'll be happy to do what you want, but give me a chance to recuperate, okay? But Isaiah said, here am I, send me. That's amazing, totally amazing. I see a picture of brokenness, humility, uh, complete giving his will to God, uh, complete dedication, commitment, I see a transformed man. I really do. I see a man who is willing to do whatever God calls for him at any time, at any place, whatever the cost. So Isaiah, picture him now. Um, He said, uh, God said in verse 9, go and tell this people. So God gave him a message, what he was to say, or how he was to function as a prophet. And so when Isaiah goes out to give his testimony, what do you think people said to him? What happened? Did Isaiah have a testimony to to share? Absolutely. He had a story to tell. I'd like to tell you what God did for me in my life. See my face? God worked in my life. He had a testimony to tell, to tell others. Do You think they wanted to hear what he had to say? I think so. At least some of them did. Now, when you look at, at uh, his experience there in, in the kings, uh, it, it was a difficult experience for him, and yet people did hear his message. But he had a message to tell because of his experience with the Lord. Brokenness. And he, he became a kingdom builder because of his brokenness. That's the point. That's the point. Kingdom building begins in the heart, begins with brokenness, begins with giving up our will, saying, not my will, but thine be done. Regardless of the cost, regardless of what it, what, what it means for me, regardless of whatever else is required, I'm willing to go and do whatever God asks without reserve. And I, I, I'm so inspired by Isaiah's example here. He could have said, you know, Lord, I... I I really want to do what you want to have me to do, but you know, give me some time to think about it, or let me go to the hospital, or you know, he could have all kinds of excuses. Moses had those excuses, remember? He had all kinds of excuses, but not Isaiah. He said, "Here am I. Send me." In the condition he was in, and God isn't looking for us to be—I want to be careful how I say that—God isn't looking for us to be qualified, but He qualifies us. Is that biblical? I think it is. Now, he wants us to be qualified as well. I mean, uh, how should I say this? There are things that, that we do or, or requirements he has that we fulfill that helps him choose us, if you know what I'm trying to say. And yet, we will never be everything God wants or requires of us without his grace and without his working our life. And so as we submit to him, he qualifies us. He, makes us. he makes it possible for us to do whatever he asks us to do. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a journey. It's a commitment, and it's an ongoing commitment. It starts at the beginning and keeps on going. It's, it's something that God does, wants to do in our life, and it's very important, brokenness. That's where kingdom building begins. Wherever you're called, wherever you're at, whatever God is asking you to do, that it, that's where it starts. I remember when I was a teenager. I was 16, actually, and we had in our church Melvin Glick. You remember him? MIC board member. Uh, he, uh, he was speaking to the young people at our church, and I was listening very closely. He said, I want to tell you young people a big, very important secret that would help you be very successful in your life. Would you like to know what it is? Of course, I, yeah, <laughs> I want to know what this is. I was all in. I want to know everything I could do to be what I could be for God. God was an amazing person to me. And, and he said, and I listened forward with both ears. What's he going to say? You know what He said, said, read your Bible every day. <laughs> Is that all? Yes, that's all. That's all. You know what he was saying in that? There are some very important basic things in the Christian life that we need to do as long as we live. It doesn't matter how long we live. doesn't matter whatever we accomplish, wherever we go, whatever we're doing. There's always a need for brokenness. Getting close to God, being, uh, having our time with God, being in tune with God, that we will never outgrow our need for that. Never. Never. It doesn't matter whatever we ever do. We can be the, you know, whatever you want to think. But if we get away from that personal, close time of brokenness with God, we will cease to be effective for Him. We will cease to be kingdom builders for Him. Kingdom building begins in the heart. begins with brokenness. begins with our everyday quiet time with God. And that's Bible reading, that's prayer, that's memorization, that's meditation, it's all those things. And as we do those, God will bless us, he will use us and equip us the way he did Isaiah. And it may, we may have some marks on us, we may have some scars, we may have some things that we say, oh, I wish it wouldn't be there. And yet, God will use that to magnify himself through us. But we just have to make ourselves available to him in brokenness. Jesus Christ is a supreme example for us in this. Here's a question for you. And maybe some of you have thought about this, but who crucified Jesus Christ? Who crucified him? Roman soldiers? Who else? Jewish leaders? Who else? Me. Me? Who else? God. Are you sure? When Jesus was in the garden, remember he prayed? Father, is there some other way? Who is he praying to? His father. Ultimately, who crucified Jesus? Who did it? His Father. Now, you can say, well, God used these other people. And you can say it however you want to. But the ultimate, the, the, the bottom line is that, yes, God's will was for Jesus to be crucified. to me that's harsh. My mother's a widow. I grew up without a dad. I have a very special relationship with my father, heavenly father. When I first came across that thought, I couldn't take it. I said my father doesn't crucify people. He loves people. He cares for people. He takes he, he looks out for people. He looks out for me. He doesn't crucify people. Does he? He did his son. If he did his son, does he me? Yes, he does. He does. Many people will have a difficult time in their life. And then they go back and have a Gethsemane. Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus had Gethsemane first. Then he had the cross. A lot of us, we have a difficult time in our life. And we struggle and we strain and we pray. And we have all these issues and we're oh, We are struggling, and finally we get to the end of ourselves as not my will. We submit ourselves to our will, and then we can have a crucifixion. But the crucifixion won't come until we have a Gethsemane. For Isaiah, this experience in Isaiah 6 was his crucifixion. It really was. It completely, he says, I'm undone, I'm ruined. It completely finished him. He had nothing more to say, nothing more to offer. He was completely in God's control. That's where God wanted him. The beautiful thing about Jesus Christ is that he had Gethsemane, he had a crucifixion, and then what was after that? Yes. The resurrection followed Gethsemane and the cross. It couldn't happen before then. And so it's with us. Unless we're broken, unless we're done, unless we give ourselves completely to God, where our will is completely in God's hands, we cannot be have a resurrection. We cannot be kingdom builders. We have to have a crucifixion. We have to have a Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. We have to be broken before God like Isaiah was here. Even bear the marks and the scars of being broken. Jesus bore them, his hands, his feet. He still bears the scars of being crucified. And then he had a resurrection. And that resurrection is what gave him power and what gives us power as well. And I'm convinced that Isaiah, after this experience, was a a powerful man a Holy spirit power man. I'm not saying he was filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit as we would think of today. But I think the Spirit of God came on him, and he wrote, and he spoke, and he was a very effective kingdom builder. But it started in his heart. It started with brokenness. And I think that's where it is for us, too. We're going to go on and talk some more about how that translates out from there. But that's where it starts. It doesn't matter, again, how long we've been Christian. Whatever we've done for God, what are all we've been, it doesn't matter anything at all. We will never outgrow our need to have that time of closeness with God. And that needs to happen every day on a regular basis. We have salvation at the beginning. We have an initial salvation when you first gave your heart to Jesus Christ and it was a wonderful experience. Then we have to have an ongoing salvation. That's sanctification. First it's justification, then it's sanctification. And we need to be sanctified Every day. I remember years ago, Aiden Troyer was in our area. He had revival meetings, had a tremendous experience there. A year later, he was there again. <laughs> had it one year later. And, and he said, So we were here a year ago, had revival meetings. Here we are again. Do we need revival again? Well, yeah, we did. said, Why? Why do you need revival again? You just had it last year. He said, Because you got dirty. We get dirty. Our Christian walk, we get dirty. We need to be cleansed, continually cleansed. That's sanctification. That's ongoing. That's where we're at now. And that's what we need to keep on experiencing. And then finally, we'll get to heaven, and that'll be glorification. We'll be free of all this, all the, the trauma that goes on in our world today. But that's coming. That's the third aspect of salvation. So now we're in the second aspect of salvation, is sanctification. But it's brokenness. It's required of us. It's, it's uh, important that we experience every day, or very regular brokenness. Here's a question. When was the last time you wept and cried before God because you were a sinner? When was the last time that happened for you? Oh, you say, well, yeah, when I became a Christian, I was crying. I was broken. That's great. That's wonderful. Has it happened since? Have you been broken before God to tears because you're a sinner before God? That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. And that happens between you and God, you and God alone, just you two, no one else. It's important that we have these experiences, very important, brokenness. Maybe you have a comment, question. Maybe it's something you don't agree with or you have a comment to make. Isaiah, you mean? Isaiah, you mean? Yeah. Sometimes that can be hard, especially when we see our sin from us and to receive it and to believe it and to say, hear my sin. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. It looks easy. I mean, you know, well, it happened to Isaiah, sure, why not? You know, he was done, he was finished, there was nothing he could say. So, of course, you know. But When I'm in this experience, is it easy? I pray and plead with God. Oh, I just plead with God. and He doesn't answer the way I wish he would. (laughs) Is that easy or hard? That's hard. And yet it's good. It's really good. And because of this brokenness, Isaiah became a real blessing. The book of Isaiah is a wonderful book. Read it. Study it. It's a salvation book has a lot of salvation nuggets in it, prophecies of Jesus coming as the Messiah and so on. It's, It's a wonderful book, and he wrote it out of his brokenness, out of his ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for your attention. God bless you. We'll take a break.